This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brown. Drew and Julie are talking about what you're talking about. When you have uh, rogue police officers that are treating certain people differently, there is no place for that. And we do need to stand up and we do need to lock arms and, and get that changed. And Drew and Julie are also talking about baseball. What if we play 50 games at your prorated salary for the player. Are you kidding me? With all that's going on in the country and what has transpired in the last week, get your butts out on the field. Plus, Drew talks with ESPN's Adam Schefter about reporting in the NFL. When I went to graduate school at Northwestern, the, the very first thing they taught us was if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. And I tell people all these years later, you know, I just still don't know my mother loves me, but I, I, I was able to confirm that Andrew Luck retired or... Uh, any of the other NFL moves that have happened here of note. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brauman. That is right. It is another edition of our podcast, podcast number 47 of the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brauman. We are getting dangerously close to 50, Drew. And I don't know what that means, but that's a big number. We're going to have a big old party when we hit 50, <laughs> aren't we? I hope so. I was thinking that too. Like we got in three weeks, we got to do something. We're gonna we've already something. had we've already had one party for for fifty, and now uh, we'll have a fiftieth podcast party. <laughs> Why party. are you laughing? I'm laughing just because it was a fun fiftieth fifty yeah. party. Yeah, uh, it how's great. it going? How you handling? You know, it, 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 it's going okay. I, I'm sure, and we, we I, I feel obligated as I think everybody else does, and I've done some stuff on social media, but. What a what a horrible week we've we've all struggled through the last several months because of COVID and that horrific incident in Minneapolis with the killing of George Floyd and it's just too many uh, one is too many and uh, you know we we need change and now the the country is angry as it should be um, lawless is lawless I I will say that there's no place for looting there's no place for violence what makes a democracy great, what has made this country great, one of the main reasons is uh, a foundation in a democracy is the ability to protest, the ability to peacefully protest, the ability to speak out uh, and try to right perceived wrongs. And I don't think there's any um, perception here that that most sane people wouldn't agree with. There, there's uh, uh, There's been systemic racism um, within um, our society for a while. And uh, there are people, there, there are so many people of color that get treated differently, um, not by all police. I have a lot of uh, good friends who serve and I have the utmost respect for them. It is such a difficult job. Uh, but when you have uh, rogue uh, police officers that are treating certain people differently, there is no place for that. And we do need to stand up and we do need to lock arms and, and get that changed. So I have an interesting perspective on all of this in that. Um, so I live downtown and um, for the last, gosh, four or five nights, a lot of helicopters and a lot of police uh, sirens. And every day I try and go out and I um, just check out the neighborhood and for me, it's it's two different things going on. It's peaceful protests and protests for the right reasons, because as you said, there's there's everybody can see that um, the wrong that was done, and then there's an issue, and the the country is hurting. And then there's you know the rioters, and so and then I walk around my neighborhood and um, see all the you know what damage has been done, and it's just um, it's disheartening, and it makes you angry, and it makes you sad, and it's not going to be in two days. It's not going to be solved. Right. It has to start with, um, and it's every, you know, what I think is so interesting, Drew is, is the COVID affected all of us. Like the one thing that I think I've ever been through that's affected every single person, age, race, whatever. This is the same thing. It's happening all across the country. Um, and it's deep. You, you know, Julie, it's happening all across the world. There, there have been demonstrations, um, in Australia, there have been de demonstrations in Europe. So this is not singularly uh, viewed upon as an issue in the United States. And the people are celebrating, I, I don't know if that's the right term, 
You're not, you're not celebrating what happened, clearly, but you are honoring George Floyd and you're saying we're, it's time to put our collective foot down. And through peaceful protest over time, great change has been affected. And you can look no further than the civil rights demonstrations that uh, were led naturally by Martin Luther King Jr. And it, it took way too long and it was way too overdue, obviously, but change was affected. Now, when you loot, when you are violent, that is lawless and and those people uh, should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, I believe they are the vast minority and most people are going out to protest um, and do it in a peaceful manner. And I applaud. And as I said earlier, we lock arms um, at least uh, I know you and I can speak for you in that regard, that uh, we lock arms w- with all those people because we ha- we have to have change. It's I, I have a very dear friend who, who's a doctor who has described to me, you know, in the past about, they, you know, it's called DWB, dri- driving while black, pulled over in a nice neighborhood in a nice vehicle because, uh, well, that just couldn't be, right? It's incongruous. Uh, it's somebody of color couldn't be driving a nice car and live in a nice neighborhood because, what? They have to be a drug dealer. So there, there's profiling that goes on. And um, there, there is a different uh, with not not with certainly not with every cop, but but too often there has been a different uh, set of circumstances and how people of color have been dealt with uh, when it comes to uh, the law. And that that's unfair and it needs to change. So it makes me when I start when I'm prepping for the show, obviously, this is a baseball centric podcast, and I am prepping for the show and I I read the latest, uh, you know, there's there's proposals going back and forth reportedly, because nobody's really going on record um, from either side. But what we're hearing about uh, anonymous players, it makes me kind of go, wow, I mean, we'll talk about the latest what we think is latest proposal. It's like, Baseball man, you're falling pretty low on the list of priorities now. It was one thing with COVID. It's another thing with this. But because we do talk baseball on this podcast, um, I guess we'll do this every week until it gets resolved. The, the What's Hot segment brought to you by Boyers is the latest reported proposal. Wanted to see what you thought about this. It was now the owners proposing, okay, what if we play 50 games at your prorated salary for the players. Now, 50 games, Drew, is about 30% of what a normal right, schedule yeah, is. Yeah, Julie, to make an analogy, it'd be akin to the NBA playing you know, 25 games. Are you kidding right. me? So you get off to a slow start, and all of a sudden you're out of the playoff picture. I mean, that baseball, they can't play 162. They can't really approach 162. But to me, the minimum is playing – uh, in, in the 80, 81, 82 range mm-hmm. for me. 50 is a joke. Um, I, I do wish that both sides had started with more legitimate offers where, yeah, that's not their best offer on either side, but it's not an insulting type of offer. Yeah. I still hold to what I've said for several weeks, Julie. I do believe they're going to get this done because they cannot not get it done, especially in this climate. Uh, but I do believe damage is being done because people uh, read about it and they and they wonder, are you kidding me with all that's going on in the country and what has transpired in the last week? Get your butts out on the field. Yeah. And I think I do think that they'll get something done, but they're just right. I, I agree with what you're saying. It just to throw out 50 is kind of a waste of time. I'm looking forward to this podcast. Not that I don't always, but um, you do some very, very good interviews with a lot of different people, a lot of big names. This one though, from this week um, checked in with a football guy and that's Adam Schefter. And you and I know Adam when he started out as a beat writer here at the Denver post and to watch what Adam has done on ESPN is, is really awesome. I mean, you have to be proud of Adam if you if you know him or, or read him, and a lot of people do know when he was working for the Post here. He's a, he's a hardworking guy. He he was and is a terrific writer, and we talked quite a bit during this interview about his writing, and I love the analogy that he made uh, about his writing to almost um, you know an athlete in working out. Um, in that he said, you know, I'm kind of out of practice uh, in writing, though he's written five terrific books. And, 
he has transitioned. And Julie, if you think about, you know, the business, the business has changed so much. When when I got involved, I'm not going to make you as old as I am because you're not. But when I got involved, you know, people who worked in print, that's what they did. They, you know, they they were writers and people who worked in radio, they were ra- You know, they were radio people and people who worked in television. They worked in television. There wasn't a ton of crossover. Maybe there was the TV guy that that did some, uh, you know, talk radio um, on occasion, maybe there was the the print guy that started to do a little bit of talk radio or was a regular guest. But now there's so much crossover, and you take a guy that you know had a background in newspaper journalism, and now he's an information guy with ESPN, and he has done so fabulously well. I think he has he has close to eight million Twitter followers because he's like the number one information guy that's trusted to his great great credit in the NFL. And it's, it's been a great ride for Adam. And you're right. Having known him for 30 years. Uh, yeah, I am proud of him. Yeah. It's good to, it's good to see Adam do well. And he's written a couple books and I don't know if you guys, cause I haven't heard the interview yet, but, but talked about, um, in his personal life. And if you haven't, we'll talk about it on the other side of it. We will get to the Adam Schefter interview right after this. But first, we want to tell you about one of our fantastic sponsors. Of course, we're talking about Boyer's Coffee. And we have some exciting news for you. Starting on Monday the 8th, Boyer's Coffee will be accepting online orders once again. Just go to boyerscoffee.com to place your order. And you can get Aspen Gold. It's the number one selling medium roast. They are back with a new name. It's your favorite medium roast is back. Same great taste. Now with a Colorado crafted name, it's called Aspen gold it's online again starting on monday boyerscoffee.com and you can find it in your local grocery store and this is kind of cool they're also doing something the colorado story sweepstakes so boyers was asking all their customers to share their experience with boyers coffee through a web form entry on boyerscoffee.com or through social media posts they're on facebook or instagram every week they're going to select a winner and they'll win a t-shirt which is really cool a colorado crafted t-shirt so that's exciting you can share a story whether you discover the coffee at course field where you usually work during a rockies game or sat down with a cup of coffee with bill boyer himself at their old shop just go to boyerscoffee.com backslash colorado stories i thought that was really cool they've got some exciting news coming back and you know we're so happy for them getting back on their feet we're, we're thrilled for them. And Julie, truth be told, every single night, whether it is 95 degrees or 35 degrees at Coors Field, I have a Boyer's coffee with uh, made into a mocha. <laughs> and I have it as I do the broadcast every single night. And uh, sometimes I sneak and have two. So, um, yes, I, I drink more Boyer's coffee than anybody. Okay, want to tell you about our friends at Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's team. They've been in business since 2001. They've been very busy uh, the last several months. They've been busy for 20 years, basically, because they, they're terrific at what they do, and they've made so many customers happy uh, through the years. But interest rates at historic lows right now, everybody's trying to save a buck. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. It's 303-867-7000. They listen, and then they lend, and they're going to come up with the right product for you. You, they're going to educate you, and they're going to put you where you need to be. Again, the number is 303-867-7000. They've been involved with the Rockies for a number of years. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They do things the right way. And just like Boyers, they're locally owned and operated. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans. And once again, the phone number is 303-867-7000. And each week, they bring us our featured interview. And this week, it's uh, an old friend of uh, mine and Julie's, Adam Schefter. I think you know him. It has been a while, my friend, uh, that we've had an opportunity to catch up. Usually, it's on a radio show and you're disseminating all kinds of information. Uh, do you ever take a moment, Adam, stop, push the pause button and say, how the hell did I get here? I was a writer, I wrote for newspapers, and now look where I am. Probably not as often as I should, Drew. And every now and then, I actually was on today, uh, somehow got asked to address a middle school in East Providence, Rhode Island, and was on with them for about 45 minutes answering questions for the 6th, 7th, 8th graders. And one of you know, the questions were, you know, how, how did you get to be a TV reporter? Well, it's a long story. You know, how, how did I get to be a TV reporter? How did, how did that happen? And, 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 you know, you, you would know, you know just about as well as anyone. It, it, it's, it's, 
that's life. It's just a long, strange journey that takes you to a lot of unforeseen, unpredictable places. Um, I never would have imagined my career going as it has. I set out to be a newspaper sports columnist and wound up as a football television reporter. I guess it's the same family. They're distant cousins. Um, but again, it wasn't what I set out to do. It, it is beyond anything I could have imagined uh, setting out to do. So this is where it wound up for the time being. I feel very fortunate and blessed and privileged to do what I do. Uh, I'm not quite sure how it happened, and, and I probably should take more time to think about that, but I guess there'll be time for that when they throw me out at some point. Yeah, and, and you, you covered a little bit of this, and, and I knew you way back, and you covered you know you covered everything. And now I think, especially when you're talking to sixth, seventh, eighth graders, or high school kids, or even college kids, probably now when they hear your name or see you on ESPN, it's yeah, he, you know he he's the football guy, and yet your background, you were covering numerous sports. Do you a look at yourself as a football guy, and was that your favorite sport? You know, the funny thing is, Drew, is that when I got to Colorado in 1990, like I said, I wanted to be a sports newspaper columnist when the Rocky Mountain News hired me. And then when Colorado was getting a baseball team in the early 90s, I took a job in Colorado as a general assignment reporter working on CU and some Denver Broncos and a little of this and a little of that. And when Colorado got the baseball team, you would probably remember the exact year. I'm going to guess 1992, was it? Three? 93 was the first season, yep. So what year did they get the team? Maybe I think 91. It was it was like a two-year, you know, what they knew they had it, and it was about a two-year process. It was around 91, so you were right in the middle of it. Yeah. That – when they got the team was what I wanted to do more than anything. And I interviewed at the Rocky Mountain News. And I tell this story all the time. It's funny. I interviewed for that job to be the beat writer. And a guy who lived on my block on Milwaukee Street in Denver, right up the street from me, he interviewed for the job working at the time. Neither one of us got hired to cover the Colorado Rockies. And so I was forced, and I do mean forced, to stay on football and to be stuck on the football beat. And the other guy that didn't get the job, left the Rocky, and went on to <laughs> win a Pulitzer Prize for the Los Angeles Times and write a book with Phil Knight called The Shoe Dog and Andre Agassi's book and the tender bar guy by the name of J.R. Moringer. And we lived on the same street in Denver. Both wanted to cover the Rockies. Neither one got the chance. Both got rejected from that job, and both were forced to go our own ways and make adjustments, professional adjustments from that point on. He did okay. Yeah, I was going to say, you both screwed up. You both should have, probably should have gone into, uh, you know, electrical work or, or some sort of trade because uh, it didn't, clearly didn't work out after that. <laughs> no, and, and, and again, I think that's, again, the moral of life, right? You set out to do certain things and hope that certain things work out professionally. And when they don't, um, you have to adjust. And, and I, I just think it's, it's just true in every walk of life. Like, it's not... You know, you, you may have in mind what option A is, whether that's going to a particular school or getting a certain job or getting married to a certain person. Option A may not work out. It usually doesn't. Uh, but it's all about option B and option C and option D. And in this particular case, uh, staying on football was probably option B or C for me. Maybe D. Who knows? But I was stuck on that, and, and you just stayed with it and tried to make the most of it. Do you find a difference going back to when you were covering guys who played other sports on a more regular basis? Um, I get this question a lot, and, and maybe you've gotten it, I'm sure, in your career. Do you find a difference in the in the average athlete in each sport, whether you're in an NFL locker room, the times you've been in NBA, NHL locker rooms, Major League Baseball, or maybe the individual sports? Repeat that one more. So, so I'm not sure. Just in, in just the the overall makeup. I know you can't paint with a broad brush, but you know, in terms of accessibility, in terms of uh, how much athletes in certain sports, you know, give you and 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 truly are uh, in, involved with 
media as opposed to, you know, other sports. Have you noticed a difference? Well, I, I think there are certain stereotypes that that you would make about athletes. And like hockey players are just really nice guys. <laughs> they just really are. And over time, it seems like baseball guys have been the most prickly guys. Mm-hmm. Um, basketball guys are, I, I think, warm and friendly. Um, football, you know, you know what I've noticed, Drew, is like when I covered the Broncos for 15 years, I lived in their facility, their training facility, and was in the locker room every day, and you would develop actual, true, one-on-one relationships, like with people, with with each of the players, uh, the way you can do in basketball. And 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 I covered those teams when they won their first two Super Bowls, and was fortunate enough to get to know on a personal level Mark Slareth and Shannon Sharp and Gary Zimmerman and and Ray Crockett and Broderick Thompson and and we go on and on with all I mean just any guy Tom Nalen any guy you have Terrell Davis some sort of relationship Howard Griffith with them and I would say it had to be three four five years ago I don't remember when it was it was it was the day that Russell Wilson signed his contract with the Seahawks so probably about uh, I don't know, four years ago I was back for the first day of Broncos training camp and they sent me and Tom Jackson. Um, with a host, and we were going to interview some Broncos officials on the opening day training camp. And I remember seeing all the local media and all being gathered around for the press conferences of whoever it was that they brought out of the building, and then they bring them back into the building and bring out another player, and he would stand in front of the reporters, the group of 10, 20, 30 people, whatever it was, and then he'd go back in. And I thought to myself, I would never have been able to do the job the way I did it then today because it it just seemed to me like there was a lot less intimacy, a lot less personal interaction that it it, it would be harder today, I think, because of the access to strike up professional relationships with these guys. Now, that doesn't mean you can't. Of course you can, and many do. But, you know, back then, like I said, I'd be in the press room in Dove Valley when it was a smaller building and I, I would just wander down to the locker room <clears throat> or be in the building and uh you know like I said I'm a I'm a young single guy, nothing better to do so I was just there all the time. Spent all my time there. And you're around the guys all the time. And and I just don't think it's that way today. Am I wrong? No, I mean, I don't cover the Broncos on a regular basis uh, and haven't in a long time, but everything is much more regimented. And, and I'm, one, of, one of my concerns is, really quickly, the most important thing I do, and I tell young people this when they ask about my career, in baseball, I mean, you're on the internet and, and you're reading a lot of stuff each and every day in preparation for the game that night and notes, et cetera. But the most important thing I do, and I and I know this from you, knowing you and just how you explained that is the interactions during batting practice. Typically I'm on the field for, you know, 90 minutes The you know, the home team, the Rockies hit, talk to guys and it doesn't have to be pointed questions. You're just, it, it's over a long period of time developing relationships and then the opponent also, and stories emanate from that, that you can regurgitate during a three or four hour broadcast. That is the most important stuff I do. And I'm worried now with this COVID thing, you know, forget 2020. This this year is going to be an aberration. But going forward, because you you know, PR types are always trying to limit the ability for us to have access, and and that that means that hurts. It's not about us. It's about what we're able to pass along to the fans who are trying to consume the game. Yeah, no, no question. And again, that's why access is interesting, and why it's going to be, I think, incredible going forward because. In a day and age of COVID, I think teams have a reason not to make their athletes any more available to reporters than they have. And, that, and, and again, it's not going to change my life one bit, right? But I'm just telling you that I think it's going to be tougher than ever to be a local beat writer. What, yeah. What's going to happen after the game now, Drew? You, you think they're going to let reporters go into the locker room? Hell no. I I don't know how that's going to work. And so – Again, I just think if you're a um, reporter, uh, and, and again, newspapers are dying out, so there aren't as many newspaper reporters anyway. 
Um, it, it, it's just it's just going to be tough to be a reporter, I guess, TV reporter, radio reporter, newspaper, whatever it may be, internet reporter, blogger. Um, it's going to be harder to do that than ever before, I think. Yeah. Adam, because of your great reputation, and this is right in, in line with, I think, what we're discussing, how – with information that we see you – disseminate uh, during the week and, and certainly in the mornings on Sunday. How much of that is, is you making numerous phone calls? And now where you are and the status that you have achieved, how much is it you're answering? You're not literally answering the phone. You're probably getting texts. Hey, listen, we're about to do a deal. What's the percentage of, of each? Well, I still think you have to go hunt out news and information, Drew. I don't think by and large people are just – Calling to say, hey, making this trade, want to give you a heads up. Hey, we're firing this coach. Want to give, hey, we're hiring. Right. I don't think it works like that. I don't think people really, you know, some of my closest relationships in the business sometimes, uh, you know, something will go down. I'll call that person. I'll be like, hey, what happened with this? And, oh, you know, I should have called you. Right. I don't think people think to call you usually with those sorts of things. I just don't think that that happens. That's not, that's not their job. Their job is to, is to go run a team, to go coach a team, to go play for a team, to go make, uh, you know, to make sure that they win. Um, not to, oh, let, let me call Adam. <laughs> I don't, I just don't think that's how people think. Now, I'm always touched and honored, um, when somebody just will, hey, I uh, just want to give you a heads up. You know, this is happening. And I'm like, wow, like, and sometimes people do it and it's over something that's not even that significant. And I say to myself, that was really nice of that person to, even think of me at that moment. So uh, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it's not a common occurrence. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. But how do you manage then this, the 32 organizations that you have to stay on top of, take us, take us through Monday and Tuesday of your, of your week and in, in how you prepare for the following weekend, if you would. Well, you know, True. What I would say to that is, it, it's not really like you're preparing. I, I, well, maybe you are. I, I, I think, and I think this is true of, of a lot of people in a lot of lines of work. Not just me. This is not exclusive to me by any stretch of the imagination. But I think with these kinds of jobs, you just kind of live them. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Like, like you're just always working them, right? So when you know, I, I'm always thinking. Um, during the week, okay, well, what, what, what am I going to be coming up with here for Sunday, the Sunday countdown show on ESPN? And, and I'm always thinking, uh, what that is. And I, you know, even during the off season, I'm thinking, well, this week, like I could tell you right now, I have a topic, a couple of news topics for week one, whenever, you know, assuming week one goes off when it does in September, I have a couple of items I could tell you today will be on the show that I already have in my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that, kind of something with a new slant to it that I could just put out there today, but I'm not going to, I'm going to save it for that Sunday. And someone gets it good for them. Right. Right. So in a way I'm prepared for the opening show of the season already. Um, During the season, I'm, I'm just constantly thinking of those shows. You know, okay, what are we doing Sunday? What are we going to do on Monday night countdown when we're on site for Monday night football? Uh, What am I going to be talking about? Like you just, it's just part of your, thought process and part of your routine and structure and all those things like that. Um, so it, 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 it's just kind of what you do. Yeah. Does the minutia of it ever get to you where you say, Hey, breaking news, you know, the, you know, the, the right guard for the Atlanta Falcons is going to sign a three year deal for 27 million, 18 guarantee. It's information is it's, it's not Tom Brady. It, you know, it's not, J.J. Uh, Watt, so it's not as sexy. Do you, do you ever feel like, I'm getting really excited about this, I'm passing this along, but, you know, I mean, how gravely important is this to anybody outside of Georgia? You know, you know Drew, what I would say to that is I, I care enough about my job, so much of my job, that um, anything like that matters to me. So uh, some Falcons guard just signed an extension. If I get the story... Uh, if it's worthy of being on NFL Live or the bottom line of ESPN, uh, I, I'm 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 proud and honored to report it. You know, and 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 so yeah, I mean I understand your your, your question, um, 
But again, I guess it comes back to having a certain professional pride in what you do. You went to Michigan and you went to Medill at, uh, at Northwestern, great journalism school. The old bromide in when we were going through colleges, you had, to go with a story, you had to have two sources. Is that Does that exist anymore? Or if, if the general manager of the Falcons calls you and says, hey, we yeah. just re-signed so-and-so to a three-year extension, that's good as gold. Yeah. I, again, when I went to graduate school at Northwestern, the, the very first thing they taught us was if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. And I tell people all these years later, you know, I just still don't know my mother loves me, but I, I, I was able to confirm that Andrew Luck retired or uh, any of the other NFL moves that have happened here of note. So good line, by the way. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And so uh, I think I've, I've done this for 30 years now. So I think what, what happens over time is it's not necessarily that you want that. Second. You always want a second source, but I know who I can go with and who I can't. I know when I have to go get a second or third source and when I can't just rely on one source. And now I also – I try to err to the side of caution over anything else. Like I, I always think in my mind, what's the upside of this as opposed to the downside? And so you try to measure every story in that regard and um, sometimes the upside you know, isn't worth the downside. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. That does. Have you ever felt like a, a pawn that that maybe you were being used to? No, no, I I I, I really don't believe that. I know I know people love to talk about that around. Oh, you know, around the draft, people will. Oh, are they going to use you and you know, sure. use your pawn? And I, I just think, with, again, I've had relationships with so many of these people for so long. I just don't think they're lying to me. Now, again, Team X. Well, let's say I'm talking to them. Honestly, the truth of the matter is like, you know, I, I remember one year, well, boy, there's a lot of letters to this, but I, I just think to answer your question that people aren't going to lie to me. They're, they're not necessarily going to tell me the truth, but they're not going to lie to me. Now, there was one year, uh, I'll never forget it, where there was one team I'm talking to the head coach and and this guy was going on and on about you know, certain players they liked in the draft. And I'm talking to other teams. And everyone kept telling me that this team was taking this guy. And I'm like, I I, I don't think so. And they're like, no. And I had like six GMs call me. They're like, no, this team's taking that guy. I'm like, you know, I spoke to that team for 45 minutes. The guy, you know, was making a decision. And he never brought it up to me. And so I said, well, we'll see. And sure enough, the draft comes. And that team takes that guy that everybody else told me that the team never mentioned to me. Right. And, 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 and the guy called me the next morning to apologize profusely. And he goes, I, he goes, I thought of it on the way home. I was driving home and I want to let you know, I didn't try to mislead you. We, but I realized that we never talked about that guy. Yeah. And, and I really did like this guy and that guy, you know, when, when we settled on this guy and he goes, but I just feel horrible. He goes, you know, today, here's what's going to happen. We're trading up for this guy. We're going to take that guy. And everything he said was, was dead on. Now, And I always think it's when I speak to these people, they're better off telling me the, the, the 100% full-on truth. I'd be more apt to protect them that way than if, if, they, if they're just speaking generalities and guessing, well, I could speak to them. Well, I, I think they're thinking this team's thinking offensive tackle or they, everybody thinks. Everybody thinks that team's taking this guy. They haven't seen it, but everybody thinks that. Now, I tell that to other people, right? Does that make sense? Sure. Now, as opposed to that person telling me, hey, we want this guy. Now, I'm not going to tell that to anybody. I would protect that guy. But when that goes, when, he, when, when that's not shared or volunteer, I'm not going to, there's nothing to protect. Hey, Adam, at, at your core, um, for, I, I assume, you're a writer. I mean, if somebody says, you know, what what are you most passionate about? And you've been fortunate to make a, you know, a, a great living doing what you do. And you have, you know, great respect in the industry, certainly great respect, as we're talking about um, with the with with people actually in the game, general managers, head coaches, players, etc. But at your core, you're a writer, aren't you? Yeah, it, it's a great question, Drew. And what I would say to that is I. I was a writer. And I guess you're always a writer, but 
What I know from having been a writer, as long as I have been a writer, is you need to write all the time to really be a good writer. And back in my newspaper days, 15 plus years, when you're writing two, three stories a day, every day for that amount of time, um, I, I, you become, it's, it's, it's almost like the, the, the best analogy I could use is, you know, it's, it's like a, somebody who works out or runs every day. If you run every day, it's never easy, but you're in shape to do it. And I don't think I'm in writing shape. Yes, I'm a writer, and yes, I could still do it, and yes, I still um, can sit down and, 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 and write anything. And I, I write in a journal every day. I mean, I keep a journal. I have every day since 1990 documented. But my writing muscle probably isn't what it was compared to when I was working in newspapers. So can I write? Yes. Am I a writer? Yes. Am I as sharp as a writer as I would be or was back? At, probably not. Because it just, if you, if, you, if you ran every day, ran every day, ran every day, and then didn't run for a few years, you could still run. And you'd be, you know, you get through it. But it would not be, it would not come as easy. That, that's the best way I could say it. Do you know what? I love the analogy. I, I love that analogy. And somebody who's dabbled a little bit in writing, I just um, was, was fortunate to, uh, you know, last year to do a book with Ben Hockman uh, on the Rockies and kind of my, my experience with them. It, it, it does take, I, I like to write, but it takes work. And I think that analogy is so apropos. Now, as a writer, and you've written a number of books, I want to ask you a couple of questions along that line. First of all, is, is there one that gave you the greatest joy to produce? I'll start there and then I'll follow up. Well, I, I've, I've written five books and the first three were on people in Colorado who I worked with, uh, Terrell Davis, Mike Shanahan, Bill Romanowski. And, and honestly, everybody, every one of them was different. And so Terrell was the first book. So it meant so much to me. It was so important to me that like I would, I would, you know, have dreams about, you know, how I was handling chapter one and chapter two and whatnot. It was, it was just, it meant so much. And, and the Mike Shanahan book, you know, it was challenging in the sense that Mike is, is just very um, guarded and, in a coaching sense, robotic uh, with the media. And, and, he, and, I, and I love the man. He's such a great guy. But when that Mike is on, he's just very careful. He's just very guarded about everything he says. It just, it's just that's his inclination. And so it was challenging to write that book because you had to really dig deep and work hard to get stuff from him and to produce stuff and and to make it happen. And then the Romanowski book, I had to rewrite like five different times for him because he, he, you know, he, he had different ideas every time. Like, I want to do, I want to do a tell old book and, you know, share everything. And then you write it, you know, like, I don't want to do that. We got to take this, uh, take, let's change that. Okay. Here, how about this? We, you rewrite. No, no, let's do it. I want to go here. And, and after a while, you know, like, Bill, whatever you want. Like, you, you know, it, so that, that was just insane. Um, and then the fourth book was a book of Hall of Fame speeches, which I always thought was really interesting and really touching and really moving. But I, I, I just don't think people cared that much for whatever reason. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I just thought there, there were some really powerful, inspirational messages from Hall of Famers at the peak of their careers when they're being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which was the idea behind that book. And then the last book I did, of course, was centered around my wife's late husband, who lost his life on 9-11, and basically the name of that book is The Man I Never Met, a memoir, and it's about how his loss and his presence affects our lives to this day. And so that was a different kind of book, too. But as you know from having done a book, um, you know, books are the male equivalent of giving birth, and they are a ton of work, and... uh after I did each one, I thought, well, I, I don't think I could do another book. I guess it would be, like, again, like running a marathon. You run a marathon, you're like, I, I don't think I, I could do that again. And a few years later, you're like, well, I'm running another marathon. And, um, But, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, if and when I would do another book, maybe one more book looking back at, at, at a lot of the fun things of the career, behind-the-scenes stuff. But that wouldn't be till you know, for, for till it was way down the line. Um, and I couldn't even fathom the idea of doing that right now. 
I find it fascinating, and I and I I, I have not read this yet. It's 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 on my list. But uh, a follow up question on the man I never met: um, What prompted you to to do it? And in your conversation with your wife, was she uh, enthusiastic initially? Take us through that. You know, and again, I don't want to. I certainly don't want to invade your privacy. But but I, I do. I do find it fascinating that that you did a book um, on on your wife's late husband, and certainly, um, you know, as he the way he passed was tragic. But take us through that, if you would. What happened was, I, I proposed to ESPN doing a piece on the 10th anniversary of 9/11 about you know the loss of my wife's husband, and and that came after she. Who she, my wife is a very private person. Like you know, doesn't uh, you know she's not on social media. Doesn't care about social media. Um, is as private and guarded as really anybody I know in my life. And so one day she's a kid. She's like, hey, why don't you ever acknowledge you know that I was married before to Joe? I'm like, I, I didn't know that you wanted me to. So that was when I pitched to ESPN the idea of doing a feature on Joe, and. They thought about it. Ah, nah, we're, we're going to pass. I said, okay, fine, no problem. And then all of a sudden, like on the 15th anniversary of 9/11, which would have been in 2016, I guess, one of the feature producers at ESPN, a guy by the name of Greg Jules, a friend of mine, came to me. He goes, "I think we're going to do the feature on Joe." I was like, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." So, okay, great. And like, I had to go back to my wife to remind her, hey, "Are you okay with?" It? Yeah. Will you do an interview? Which she had never done, wouldn't really care. She's like, I, I guess I'll do it. Yeah, begrudgingly, mm-hmm. you know, like eh, not enthusiastic at all. Sure. But yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, and so we did it, and the piece ran on the opening Sunday of the NFL season, which was the 15th anniversary of 9/11. And I remember being on the set, and it's about noon Eastern, and getting done with the piece, and it ran and. You know, walking back to my desk and, and my phone was going nuts and the emails were lighting up and I was like, uh, you know, I, I'm used to, you know, the opening Sunday out there. Okay. Initially, my first thought was this had to do with actives and inactives, like players who are active and inactive because yeah. there's always a rush of news and like texts all of a sudden coming. Hey, this guy's playing. This guy's not playing. This guy's playing, playing, not playing. And so I thought it was something like that. But it was all people who had seen the piece that ran on ESPN. And for anybody who hasn't seen, all I do is Google, you know, Adam Schefter 9-11 video. Um, and it'll come up. And um, it just generated an incredible reaction from, I mean, I got hundreds of texts and emails pouring in over the course of that entire week. Like, it just kept coming from all walks of life, you know, from politics, from people in entertainment, other sports leagues. And um, it was just overwhelming, to be honest. And so I, I think my marketing agent was like, hey, well, you have any interest in doing a book on that? I, was, I, I said, is there a book there? I don't even know. Right. I, yeah, I think there were. I, well, I don't know. You know, we could think about it. I asked my wife. And, she, you know, again, she was kind of not like, yeah, let's do this or not do it. Like, even now, you know, the, the, that piece ran, the book came out, everything was well received. Um, right? Even now... There, there's this Hollywood company that you know wants to turn it into like either a TV movie or a TV series or a movie. Like we don't know, but they want to do it. And 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 my wife just you know we've been going back and forth for like I don't know six months, maybe a year, and the contract's all done. My wife just hasn't signed it. She just doesn't care. Like she she wants to know that if they do it, if she signs, which I don't even know if she will, that they would do it the right way. And and I'm, I'll leave it up to her. Like, if she wants to do it, great. If she doesn't, fine. I, I don't really care. Right. Does that make any sense? No, it's uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's up to her. If she yeah. wants to do it, we'll do it. They'll, they'll, Holly, she'll sign, and Hollywood will take it over and do what they do. And if she doesn't, then they don't. And honestly, whatever she decides, not going to change my life one bit. She, you know, she's your wife now, but she just like we've all had lives prior to to getting married, prior to – you know, wherever you are on a particular day, that, you know, that is hers. 
and she's allowed you in naturally. It, does it? Do you still feel like an, an interloper, even though that you know she gave you the blessing to you know she did the interviews, obviously, yeah. so you could write um, what you did after doing the the uh, you know the the visual piece initially. Is it still is it still strange in a certain way? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. But again, we, we've been married now for thirteen years. Been together for fourteen years. So I, I guess that fades a little bit every year, um, but in a way, you know, it's always there too, and it never fully goes away. Hey, uh, along those lines, is there is there somebody, and you, you talked about, um, you know, it's such an arduous process writing a book, and you've done five terrific ones. Uh, in, and you mentioned, you know, given taking people behind the curtain, maybe when your career uh, is in its sunset, which I'm sure is many, many moons down the road. Uh, but is there is there somebody right now out there that you find and it may not be in the world of sports fascinating enough that if he were to or she were to select you to write the biography, you would be enthusiastically um, in, involved in that and, and would be excited about the opportunity. No, not at this time. No. Like, okay. No. Um, only because again, there, there's so much work involved in that. And my current job requires so much work and I couldn't do both yeah. now. And again, and, and I don't think my writing muscle is sharp enough to do that. So I, I'd have to literally give up the NFL covering the NFL, which you know, I'm not interested in doing at this moment. Yeah. And get into you, writing shape. You, you know what prompted that question, though, Adam? Not only because you and, and I'm not just giving you faint praise. You, you know what I think of you. It, it, it's that I, I once you get the, those muscles uh, reengaged, you're you're excellent at it. And. I was watching, as, as perhaps you were on ESPN, the 30 and 30, or I don't know if they call it a 30 and 30, the, the thing on Lance Armstrong, the documentary on Lance Armstrong. Fa- fabulous stuff. And like him or loathe him, he's yeah. a fascinating character. Yeah, no, he, oh, yeah, he, well, he, yeah, he's, he, he's a very um, strong character in, in many ways. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I, I guess that's your point, right? Like if Lance Armstrong, or I mean, but I, I guess I would say to you, who's the one guy that would that would entice you, Drew? Like, I mean, it's not who, who do you think would entice you, or would entice me? You tell me. Like, there's nobody. Yeah, uh, you know, you usually begin with the I- iconic names, and first of all, if they're calling me up to write their biography, they have gone through the longest list possible of authors that have turned them down, and they've arrived at me. So. They've, they've truly made a mistake. But, you know, I'm watching that Armstrong thing. I'm watching the, we all watch it. The whole world watches the Jordan thing. And, you know, they're fascinating. You know, they're fascinating people. And uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded of a quote from the late Paul Newman, who was a guy that I really admired. And he said, if you don't have any enemies, you probably don't have any character. So you're not writing about some run-of-the-mill guy that always seemingly did the right thing or somebody who had the vanilla personality. You, Lance Armstrong, Michael Jordan, they have controversy around them. They were they separated themselves. However, Lance Armstrong did it. So they're they're interesting people, and that's kind of how I arrived at. Yeah. Favorite authors? Do you have Do you have people that you gravitate to over time? I, you know, when I was in college, I loved reading Mitch Albom. I couldn't believe anybody could write like that. I always loved that, and. You know, Frank DeFord also wrote some great books, um, not just sports books that, that were just fantastic. Like he was a gifted writer uh, while he was on this earth. Um, now, you know, I, I, I don't read as much as I once did. And I used to solicit advice from writers about, you know, what you should do to get ahead. And they always told me, read 30 minutes a day. And you know, when I was in Colorado, lived in Colorado for almost 16 years, I, I I would read every day, every single day. But as you get older and you got a wife, you got kids, you got dogs, you got jobs, you got, you know, live hits and podcasts and this and that. like I just, I just, I don't have the focus to read. And maybe that's the 
requirements, responsibilities of my life. Maybe it's smartphones and being on Twitter and Instagram and, and, and having a lower patience threshold. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all those things. I, I just don't read as much as I used to. You, you, you are now you are now officially part of the next generation because we all have shorter attention spans because of these phones we carry around and social media, yeah. uh, et cetera. Um, by the way, uh, I, I thought you would say Mitch album. I just looked behind me in my, in my library, in my office, and I have every book that, that albums written. I'm with you. He, he's a brilliant writer. I'll throw one other name out there that there's very few people that, that I will actually, while I'm reading, laugh out loud where you, where you literally, you're by yourself and you and you don't just smile. You're, you're literally, you chuckle. And that was Dan Jenkins. Yeah, well, he, he, yeah, he was an unbelievable writer too. Oh, unbelievable writer. Okay, as yeah. I as I leave you, how good uh, an, an impersonation has uh, Calienda done of you? <laughs> you know, uh, the funny thing is, is he, you know, he was working at ESPN for a bit there, and and he would do me like that, and and he would say, "What do you think?" And I and I'm like, "I, I got to be honest, Frank. I I think that you are fantastic at what you. I mean, I love Frank Calienda. I'm I'm a huge yeah. I just I didn't hear it as much as him. I still don't I still don't think his impersonation me is as good as his other ones. But that that's just me. maybe I'm not hearing. But I I know that other people really like it and and get a kick out of it. And so obviously he's onto something. And uh, I I'm honored that he that he does impersonate me and he's done some funny things to me. Like I saw him uh, on Twitter during the pandemic at one point. Yeah, a little Michigan helmet behind him as he's imitating. Me and I, you know, he just picks up all these little things like that that are very, very funny. And uh, Frank Caliendo is, is is one funny human being, and I could listen to him all the time. And, and again, I would give him tens on all of his impersonations, except I, you know, I think his impersonation me is like a seven or an eight. Yeah, well, he, he, you know what? It's pretty good. I think he probably does Gruden better than Gruden, right? Oh my God, yeah, he, he does he, Gruden, great John Madden, great Pat Summerall, like. Tony Romo and Jim Nance, Charles Barkley. He does Morgan Freeman reading Shawshank Redemption, my all-time favorite. Like he's just, he's in His Stephen A. Smith is 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 unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, I know. He, he's a, you know what? He's a treasure. He really is. And I've listened, you know, I I've listened to some of his stuff during the pandemic because we all have too much time on our on our hands. And anybody that can bring a smile to our face over the last uh, as we've been sequestered the last seventy-five days or whatever it's been. Um, I, I give a standing ovation to Adam. It's great to catch up, man. Continued great work, continued success, and and uh, continued uh, great life with, with your family. Most importantly, Drew, I appreciate you. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for having me, and I wish you and your family health and happiness. Wonderful. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Be well. Thanks, Drew. Take care. Bye bye. You know, the last few times I've talked to Adam. Julie, it's always been when I was co-hosting a radio show on the fan or something along those lines. And he is truly, you know, a super hard worker. He's super diligent uh, about anything he sets his mind to do. And you can't just be an information guy. You have to have earned the trust of so many people in the industry. And you know, Julie, uh, how guarded coaches and general managers are in letting go of information. So the, the relationships that he has established and the trust that he has gained and earned, that's why he has so many followers and so many fans wait on Sunday and during the week, listen to him to, to, you know, to hear what's going on in the league because they know if it comes from his mouth – uh, it, it's as good as gold. I mean, the, you know, some people just throw things up there on the on the old grease board and hope they stick. You know, if Adam if Adam reports something, then you can rest pretty much assured that that is what's going to transpire. Yeah, there's not the, too many times that Adam Schefter is wrong, and you know, people have to realize too. And these GMs are are smart. Sometimes they're telling Adam these things because they know Adam has such an amazing following. Right. That he's going to get that that message out. I mean, I think you said he has eight million Twitter followers and he's well respected at ESPN. And I mean, he really is. If you think about all the insiders in sports, he's really one of those elite guys. There really is a handful of insiders like that um, 
like Adam Schefter. But we talked before the break about, you know, some of the personal stuff that he's done. And, and the last book that he had written about his experience with his wife and his wife who lost her husband um, on 9-11. That is, and I saw the piece that they did on Sports Center when they first aired that. And that, oh my gosh, you saw, I know you saw that. Talk about a powerful piece that had nothing to do with football. Yeah. It was beautiful. Really amazing. He yeah, and he's a, and he's a tremendous writer. Um, you know, he wrote Shanahan's book. He wrote Terrell Davis's book. I remember him coming up to me when he had finished the Bill Romanowski book, and it had not been released. And he was so excited about. it. He said, "You're not going to believe it." He goes, "Yeah." And and at, even at that point in time, where it was hard, it's hard to shock anybody anymore. And he said, I'm telling you, you're not going to believe some of the things that Romo put into his body and that sort of thing. And, you know, there was some shock factor in, in that book. Um, but again, he has the trust of of players and coaches, and, and that's why he's done some iconic players and, and Mike Shanahan, guys related to the Denver Broncos. And, uh, you know, he's, he's really – he's an interesting guy, and I know it sounds silly, as I said earlier, you know, to be proud of him. I forgot to – Ask him if the fav- if his favorite, um, you know, kind of expose piece that he's ever written when he was still in newspapers. Uh, he did a piece on me for the Rocky Mountain News, and I would assume that that was the highlight of his, you know, journalism uh, newspaper career. And I just didn't get around to asking him that question, but next time I will. Yeah, it's just kind of assumed that 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 jettisoned him to ESPN. I mean, that was the piece where they go, you know, we've got to have this guy. Right. And I thought it was me that they were going to grab and, and they right. grabbed him. I don't I don't and still, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the old, uh, you know, they, they got the, the they got the right guy by accident. Well, thank you for bringing us a football interview for, you know, part of it, a football interview, because I think uh, it was just nice to, to hear that and take a little bit of break from what's going on in baseball, which yeah. is let, let me add one thing, Julie, and you alluded to this earlier when we were talking about baseball. And again, we were taping on a Tuesday night and, and hopefully uh, later in the week when you're listening to this, you're saying, Hey, you know, it's all done. They, they've sewed it up. They came to an agreement and, and we're right. going to get back on the field. And I do think ultimately that's, what's going to happen, but it, it's, it's really interesting, Julie, maybe we'll talk more about this next week. Cause it, let's just assume for a moment that baseball's back on the field in July. They'll have July for the most part to themselves, but then in August at night, after being starved for sports, right? You're probably going to have NBA NHL playoff games every night. You're going to have baseball, which will take a secondary seat, which they don't ordinarily do in August. You know, there's the occasional preseason football game, but they usually own August. But, you know, now you're going to have postseason again, in all likelihood, in the in the two winter sports. And so then you've got not that it's I mean, it's the most exciting thing, but then you've got a lot of headlines taking from preseason football if they start. Yeah. August is Saturday night's. A lot of uh, these preseason games. I'm going, okay, if you put it like that, I'm going right to the playoffs of hockey. I mean, I'll watch some baseball, but NHL postseason, the best. Well, especially in our region because the Avalanche, telling you, they get hot. Everybody knows this. They're perfectly capable of being the last one standing. And the Nuggets have a really talented uh, yeah. Team. So there, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on those teams and hopefully the Rockies in a shortened season where, you know, if they play around 80, every game is worth, you know, two X, uh, you know, they can get off to a good start. But but there's going to be other sports competing for your viewing pleasure, if you will, for your for eyeballs when it gets to August and then September, we're getting into football. So baseball's got to get on the field at the beginning of, of J- July. So, Drew, I need to go. I think you just heard my dinner just fell all over the floor. I will be attending that. What What were you having? This isn't very exciting. Uh, it was cottage cheese and fruit, but it's oh, now all over my carpet. You know what? Let the cat eat it. No, it's not good for him. So, <laughs> That's it. you know what? Listen, we used to go out every once in a while after we do the podcast at your place. You <laughs> must be dying for that right now. I I am I'm I am I'm actually I think going out for the first time um, by the way to a restaurant later this week so I'll tell you how that is to see other human beings at a restaurant. We uh, real quick since you mentioned that I was up in Cheyenne um, coaching 
uh, baseball with my youngest son. And it was, it was great to see the kids out on the field and playing baseball. And it seemed like real summer. And we actually went to a, a restaurant up in uh, Cheyenne, the, the rib chop house, which is unbelievable. Some of the best ribs I've ever had. And uh, so, but it was just good to be out. It felt normal. It felt normal. So yes, I look forward to hearing about your uh, venture mm-hmm. out and uh, I hope all those restaurants, you know, are hanging in there. Peace yeah. and tranquility to, uh, to all um, would be the last message for me for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we'll see everybody next week. Something happening here, but what it is ain't exactly clear.